This episode of Energy Sense is brought to you by IHS Markets Financial and Capital Markets Energy Advisory Group. Our team of experts provides the investment community with actionable insight and integrated thought leadership that identify the trends and trend makers of global energy markets. Solutions cover the full energy and natural resources sector, from traditional fossil fuels to emerging clean tech ideas and supply chains, and are available via recurring reports, webinars, robust data sets, and personal engagements with experts. Welcome, everybody, to this edition of Energy Sense. I'm Brianne Doherty, and I'm here, as always, with Hill Vaden to discuss all things at the intersection of energy and the financial markets. Hill, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Brianne. How are you? Pretty good. It's almost the middle of December. It is. Yeah, it's uh, it's moving fast. We've got a, a Christmas tree as of yesterday and uh, Elf on the Shelf and, you know, all, all of that stuff already lined up. Uh, so, so it has. It so your behavior has improved significantly since yesterday because you've got an elf now observing. Uh, yes, I, I guess. <laughs> no, uh, I, I, I still have a lot of questions around this elf. Um, I, I learned that there's a, so a friend of mine in Spain has a, a similar tradition, but but it's uh, Tina Gigante, which is some sort of uh, Santa spy. Um, a, a Santa spy. I mean, I feel like you start. If, if okay, I'm gonna put out there. I find the elf on the shelf idea. I understand the concept, and kids seem to be all into it. I find it creepy. I am that person that doesn't love the idea of something watching me. Um, <laughs> it's one of the reasons why I had to unplug Alexa and unplug. I got the Google Home. I've I've had both at different occasions. They have been unplugged because it got too creepy when it would all of a sudden turn on. Um, so the off on the shelf concept. I mean, does it really help you sleep at night with the idea that something's watching? No, quite the opposite, because you kind of have to get out of bed and move it. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? It doesn't move itself. I thought it goes. I thought Santa was in on this. Uh, yeah, I guess we need to put like an explicit warning or something on this, so people under a certain age don't listen to you know spoiler alert. Uh, yeah, we don't want to ruin the magic of Christmas for anyone. No. Or the magic of the holiday season, as in general, for all those who celebrate the the various um, choices that are out there for, for holidays, of course. Um, but yeah, I mean, so we're staring at the end of 2020 and and just as a little bit of a heads up, that's kind of what this podcast is all about, the end of 2020 and moving into 2021 as it's been it's been quite a year. And Hill, I, I guess we've been, well, I, we've mentioned this before, Hill and I talk probably eight times a day, but <laughs> We officially have these recorded conversations almost once a week. And we've been doing this for quite a while. So I feel like um, we're all up in each other's business as to what's been happening through 2020. <laughs> but it was it was interesting because I was I was thinking the other day how how different 2020 has been, obviously. And my changed behaviors or things that have sort of worked their way into my daily routines that um, you know have sort of shifted how things are. And I was thinking to myself, what am I going to hold on to? You know, as, um, we, once we get onto the other side of this and, and sort of the things that I will be, you know, just reverting back to previous behaviors on. And it's funny because a friend of mine said, oh, I'm just forever going to be going back to comfortable clothes and you're never going to catch me in a heel again. I'm a bit on the opposite. I'm like, oh, I miss, I miss, you know, some of these, some of these more um, common everyday things as far as, you know, when, when you get up and you go to the office and things like that. But um one thing, and this is going to sound a little cheesy, but I'm just going to put it out there anyways. I think something that 2020 taught me is a whole different understanding of what an essential worker is, for one. 
Yeah. So, so that's, so that I think was really interesting and something that hopefully we'll all carry through going forward. But um, the other thing, and then I'm going to put it out to you guys, I won't, I won't change behavior on your side. I think that um, I, I find I've always liked spending time outside. I think I'm spending a lot more time outside because the, you know, those are kind of your options inside in your own home or, or outside. And I think that's really, really nice. But I'm, at least I'm hoping that I'm going to continue sort of exercising outside and, and doing these and spending a little bit more time outside and, and enjoying the day a bit more. So um, that's kind of what I'm, I'm hoping I hold on to, actually, as we get to the other side of this. But I'm going to throw the question out to all of you. Hill, well, I maybe I'll start. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'll go with uh, audiobooks. And one of my big Christmas or birthday presents this year were, you know, the noise canceling headphones, which I'm not using right now. But I listened to three audiobooks over thanksgiving break uh you know which was a great way to i mean as i was cooking i'm listening to the beastie boys book and as i'm you know sitting at soccer practice watching my son i'm listening to you know something else and it's been great which to is multitask and get a book yeah and which is why you always have so many fun facts to share as well. That's actually a great thing. That's something I probably sh- I know I know more and more people have worked audiobooks into their driving experience. I know a lot of people now that don't really listen to music in the car, but now listen to to books. Um, uh, but I hadn't really thought about it the other way. No, that's a great idea. I like that one. Read Europe. Uh, that's a tough one. So I've got a couple. One would be um, as as cliche as this sounds. Just time with the kids. You know, they get home around three thirty, and my desk is downstairs, so I really don't have a lot of option but to be around them. Uh, which at first <laughs> was a bit of a drag, but now you know I'm much more engaged with my daughter. She's ten. She's starting to think for herself, express her individuality uh, for better or for worse, um, and so that's been great. One of the others is just the ability to do little random tasks. I had a buddy challenge me to do fifty push push-ups a day, which is a little awkward to do in the office. I'm just like, yeah, well, I'm going to do 10 push-ups in right now, but I can do that here. And so those two have been, have been really kind of benefits of, of the, uh, work safe, stay home order in, in Houston. Uh, hopefully I can maintain those 50 consecutive or like five chunks of 10 or, you know, one did another one later in the day. How are yeah. you doing that? Hill, you've met me. You know I'm not doing 50 at once. I'm well, you're wearing a baggy shirt, and I haven't seen you in months, so I didn't know if this was like... The baggy yeah, no, shirt is a disguise. <laughs> the baggy shirt is definitely concealing. It is a, it is a, it is a, a sneaky trick of, uh, of uh, large men. <laughs> what about the beard, Reed? The beard also is to conceal things, yeah. Um, what did you think I, it's a keeper? Um, I don't know. Uh, it's It's been met with mixed reviews um <laughs> actually i should rephrase it's been met with consistently negative reviews and i'm hoping for a positive one so i can say it's been met with mixed reviews um but it's been it's been um you know uh, there's never been a time that i didn't value my physical appearance so i thought this would be a good opportunity to experiment <laughs> Yes. Take the opportunities where you can. And then I, I am so sorry. I just realized I forgot to introduce who our guests are today. Uh, shame on me. We've got Reed, Reed Olmstead, but you probably recognize his voice because he's been on several times. So for all of you listeners that, that tune in frequently, that was Reed Olmstead. And we also have David Voshe with us today, um, who's, whose voice you might also recognize because he's a frequent contributor to the podcast as well. Um, David. Names. 
It, yes, yes, exactly. I, the fan, we were talking a little bit earlier that the fan base hopefully has flocked when we when we put their names into the podcast teaser. Um, we expect the base to, to really flock to this, to this particular <laughs> podcast this year. Um, David, how about yourself? Yeah, so I, so th thanks for having us on, first of all. It's always fun. But I will say, so Reed, I have a brother who's, uh, who's a bit of an introvert. And, uh, you know, when we talk about how this is, you know, how this is going on, like, what are you doing? He goes, are you kidding? Like, I was made for this. I get to stay home. <laughs> you know, like, no, I get to, you know, heads down on my work. I was made for this. So I guess Reed, you and uh, he would get along quite well. Yeah. But uh, I will We're say that uh, for, yeah, well, I will say that for, for me, uh, you know, one thing I think I'm going to hopefully try and carry over just from being in the kind of lucky point of view that we have where we can, where we can work from home uh, is sleep more. So before, you know, all this happened, I would kind of get up quite early to pack everything in. Cause then you obviously have to spend time getting, you know, getting ready for work, going to work. And I was trying to do that when this started, I said, yeah, I'm going to wake up early, keep my schedule. But then your day obviously gets longer when you're working from home. And I quickly realized that was like one way ticket to, you know, burnout city. So I uh, try and sleep at least an extra hour in the morning. And, uh, you know, if I see maybe someone's going to shake their head, you know, Hill or Reed or maybe Brianna as well, but I have no children. So I'm, you know, in a position where I can do that. I realize that's not everyone <laughs> can do that. Uh, the other thing too, you know, Brianna, you mentioned like reevaluating what an essential worker is. I think for me, uh, it's just really appreciating that we're in a collective. And I know that for a, a podcast that gets broadcast in the U.S. and Texas particularly, I understand that has some connotations to it, but I think that uh, a, a bigger appreciation that, yeah, I mean, we all have to watch out for ourselves, but I think we can do a lot of things if we work together as well. And so I think I'm going to try and move forward from now on with that in mind. Really is. I, I agree with you, David. I think it's, I think it's been remarkable to, um, and, and let's be honest, probably very important for all of us to, to be made, to have that put in our face, right? Become increasingly aware of these types of things. So um, I, 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 I don't think, I'm wrong to probably say that going forward, it's going to be 2020 is going to be one of those years where you talked about pre 2020, post 2020, you know, it's one of those critical Absolutely. inflection points. And it's yeah. so interesting because it is some, it's going to be used with respect to society, with, with respect to the economy, with respect to, and we'll get to it in a second, the oil and gas industry. Um, very much so. Well, I should say actually the energy industry as a whole, energy, yeah. but also with respect to just personal behaviors and, and, you know, behavioral differences. So um, there's a lot to, to really unpack there. We're, we're going to do something. And um, both David and Reed, I think, cringed when we mentioned that we are going to do this, but I'm going to toss it to Hill because for those listeners that tune in all the time, this isn't the first time that David and Reed have joined on at the end of the year in order to discuss predictions for the, for the coming new year. And um, we're going to let Hill give a little bit of a recap of, of how these two gentlemen did in last year's podcast around, around the predictions. Rough. So, Rough. <laughs> yeah, David, it is. You guys can't see it. David is shaking his head and giving giving one of those smiles that is telling that is sending the message to me that I should stop talking. <laughs> and, and just just as an aside real quickly for, for the frequent listeners, David and I are going to do a podcast of our own of Hill and Brianne's greatest failures as well. So uh, be on the lookout for that. The it will be the world's shortest podcast. <laughs> And I, I like that. The, so, so the way we did this last year, uh, you know, hopefully everybody remembers what was the whole would you rather 
um, on in terms of 2021 pr predictions or 2020 pr predictions. So, so there was it was nice to have a point counterpoint. And so I love that as part of his 2020 behaviors, Reed is doing 50 push-ups a day and David is sleeping more. So, so we've got <laughs> both of you on complete opposite ends of the spectrum, which is going to to, to make for, for for more of a you know there was a couple agreement uh, that there were some things where, where you guys agreed last year that it was going to be. Uh, a better year for operators than the oil field service company. Um, there was un kind of unanimity around e-fracks over diesel fracks, electric fracks. You know, majors would have a better year than independent. So I think a lot of that played out. Both of you missed the pandemic uh, in terms of your predictions. But Hill, you and I talked about that after the podcast. And and I said, I really see a pandemic coming. And you said, I don't believe it. So we're not, that's just too far out there. That's a black swan. People will laugh at you. So I'm going to pin me not being noted as as calling a pandemic on you. <laughs> well, your, your other prediction not recorded was getting run over by your, your colleague, Emery. Uh, yeah. and, and I don't think that has happened either. Well, I'll blame that on the pandemic as well. Because <laughs> you're housebound rather and than you're no your longer out there in traffic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, so so one where where you guys did take take opposite ends uh, last year. The, the 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 first question I think we had was uh, upside price risk, uh, oil or gas. Um, and, and David, you know, I hate to kind of bring this up, but but you miss you, you picked oil. And instead, oil hit what negative twenty seven dollars. So, so, so um, I think we're going to have to give the, the the prize to Reed on that. Uh, who, who had gas, and gas seems to be finishing the year on somewhat of a uh, somewhat of a, a little bit of a momentum. Uh, oil is also so, so. I guess depending on where you put the uh, the, the, the the measuring post, um, maybe both were right. But uh, where are you looking in terms of? Uh, 2021 each year. In terms of yeah. where there's upside, I would say, um, you know, we still think it's an oil upside. Gas, we were pretty strong on gas earlier this year, but that's come down as we've seen oil supply come back. So, but really, and I hate to say it, it's hard for me to get excited about either one. I think that we're in this sort of period of malaise for a couple of years while markets rebalance. You know, obviously, we can acknowledge that there are legitimate black swan events that nobody sees coming. Um, but but as we've said, you know, with what we know, I, I don't know that there's a lot of upside for either. Maybe a little bit more for gas in the first half of the year, but that's, uh, it, it, that's all I could kind of get excited about right now. Yeah, I think, you know, I, the first thing I'll say for, for the audience is that, uh, as you all know, IHS Market has expert teams for a lot of different things. And so, it's always a challenge for me, at least on these shows, not to overstep my boundaries. And so I think with that disclaimer out of the way, uh, I guess I'll just give my assessment on on what I've heard internally. So I think that, you know, to Reed's point of view, maybe quantitatively, uh, you know, the, the math and percentage changes might work out to be roughly the same or in the same ballpark. But if you just ask for my opinion on the qualitative momentum, I think the story that I've heard is that there's more excitement around gas than oil. Now, obviously, that's relative. They could both be doing you know, not great, but one is just more favored than the other. And I think that's what Reed is getting towards. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think if that were the case, I would I would agree with that. Uh, I will also say that on the, the comments of malaise, so uh, Jim Burkhart was on a webinar recently uh, 
kind of explaining a paper where, uh, which was called, I think, moving, moving beyond slow motion, if I remember the title correctly. And basically in that paper, he was saying that 2020 was uh, a transition point for oil where it had this kind of very large share of total energy and going forward in the next uh, three decades, that uh, might be sort of giving giving way to that. So I think again, tying into to Reed's point of view, that I think the, the energy transition is here basically, and so you can make a a case for oil or gas, but can you make one case? I just don't know that you can do that anymore. Well, then, so and maybe maybe your answers are going to be either you don't know or or you think it's going to be indifferent. But do we think that there's a potential of first half of 2021 versus second half of 2021 as to which one is going to have the better price volatility or the more the more pronounced volatility which one's more vulnerable to the more pronounced volatility yeah i think that you know you can make a pretty compelling case for um a stronger gas price it's all relative right we're talking about pretty low prices historically low prices um but i think you could make a case for a stronger gas price first half of the year and perhaps a stronger oil price second half. I think, you know, with the winter coming and the way gas markets are, I think you can make a case for a, for a little bump in gas price going into the first quarter, uh, into the shoulder months. Second half of the year, you know, the unknown is all around the global macro and what happens with the vaccine. If we get a vaccine that when heavy adoption rates and people feel safe getting on planes, then we're good to go. But I think that we've really seen a secular shift in the way people behave. You know, our office is open. I went in yesterday on a floor that seats 250 people. There were five of us and we've been open for a month. So, um, and, and th that was not just a happenstance five. That was a coordinated five of, hey, some of us are going in the office, we should get together. So I've been in where there's nobody. And until we start to see, you know, personal transportation, transportation for business, I and, and that's all predicated on, on people going out i don't see a strong way to get a get a good bump in oil price i mean maybe but it's all dependent on the adoption of the rate of the vaccine i think yeah i i mean i think that kind of encapsulates what i'm seeing i mean again there is a forecast out there that is faking a lot of these assumptions in and so i want to make sure i don't you know contradict that but if you ask me personally where do i think most of the strength is going to come from i think you you have to say back half of 2021, I was reading an article just today that just because there is a vaccine does not necessarily mean it's going to be, okay, everything's back to normal because you have to, you know, how many of those vaccines are going to be stored properly, injected properly? What's going to be the percentage of people that actually get it? You know, what does mask wearing and social distancing look like before that? So I think that whereas there was a pretty clear shift of, okay, prior to pandemic and after pandemic, I don't think there's going to be such a clear shift of pandemic ongoing and pandemic over, if that makes any sense. And I think that will carry over to the oil and gas story. All right. So so those are both kind of questions looking forward at 2021 and obviously within the space of our kind of general topics on energy. The other thing that, that we try to do with these end of year podcasts is look back at 2020 at things beyond energy. So looking at 2020 uh, and again, within the would you rather kind of concept here, um, we had a big election this year. Uh, in the U.S. presidential election, and that came with it, you know, a lot of press attention, a lot of, uh, I suppose, controversy. One of the underreported controversies uh, is uh, Jim Carrey emerging as the, the the Joe Biden character on Saturday Night Live when previously held by Jason Sudeikis. Um, so, who is the uh, who is your preferred Biden 
uh, Biden SNL character. Reed. I'll I go got, first on that. Or you're going. All right, no, let's that. let's go with Brian because I know how you feel about this, Brian. Yeah. This. So I was. I really think Jason Sudeikis did a great job as Biden. There was something about it, and I, maybe it's because he'd been playing it for so long. And I'm just not a fan of Jim Carrey's interpretation. To be honest, it feels a little bit over the top, and I felt like the subtlety of Jason Sudeikis was much more in line with with Joe Biden's actual character and sort of the way. And and I felt that he did a better job. So I'm actually a little bit disappointed. And I, and I wonder if, if Jim Carrey is here to stay for the, for the next four years, or um, if he's only here for the, for the first few months of uh, the new administration. So I guess, I guess it's a wait and see there, but I, I, I'm interested to hear if either Reed or David, if somebody out there does prefer the Jim Carrey version, because I might be on an Island here. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, you know, so for the audience, we, we prepped before this and we said no controversies. And so my heart started to, <laughs> when Reed said election or when Hill said oh. election, I was like, Oh wow, here we go. But to answer, look, to answer your question, uh, I can totally see where the over the top assessment would come from, uh, for Jim Carrey. But as someone who grew up in the nineties, uh, like, you know, Ace Ventura, <laughs> pet detective, you know, and living color, all that. I just, I have to give the edge to, to, to Jim Carrey for sure. <laughs> How about you? Uh, I was I was incredibly disappointed with Jim Carrey's performance. But uh, in thinking about this and listening, I don't know that it was necessarily incredibly just disappointed. Reed, it feels like, <laughs> like this is the Roger Roger and Ebert show now. Incredibly disappointed. Uh, you know, I, I have higher expectations for Jim Carrey, and it could have been the writing. Like when I think about it, I'm looking at Jason Sudeikis online, and I think, was it a fact of, was it a function of the writing or the portrayal? And and that's the real question. I'd have to go back, and and you know, I'll ask for a little bit of a pause on this. I'll spend today doing some solid research. I'll go back and look <laughs> at both characters or both portrayals and see, you know, kind of try to parse it out. Was it the actor? Was it the writing? Um, but I think both the acting and writing were weaker with uh, with Jim Carrey. <laughs> Forever an analyst, Reed. Forever yeah. an analyst. <laughs> I'm going I'm to expect a two a two page punchy insight about this. Yeah, we'll, we'll publish we'll publish it next week. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Hill? Oh, I'll go with Jim Carrey for, for similar reasons uh, as David. That that uh, you know, and, and, and Jim Carrey started to kind of wear thin uh, after. You know, like I guess Cable Guy or something. Like I started to kind of lose, uh, lose my I guess. You know, the, that initial kind of Ace Ventura in, infatuation. But when I saw him back on Saturday Live, I was like, "Oh, great, he's back!" Uh, <laughs> and so maybe it's just a consequence of getting old. But uh, I'm going to vote Jim Carrey as well. And just going back to our predictions uh, for 2020, nobody would have predicted the relevancy of SNL in, in December fair. 19. Yeah, fair. <laughs> That's also a very valid point, Reed. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring us back to um, oil and gas on this next one of Would You Rather, something that's become a, a very hot topic du jour is around um, obviously the increasingly carbon conscious nature of the industry. So Reed and David, the higher likelihood of adoption by operators of direct investment in carbon management technologies versus renewable energy technologies. How do you think they're gonna they're, they're gonna green their portfolios? David, so just, you want to take this one first? Well, yeah, wow. Okay, uh, yeah, so... I've, I've got an answer, but I'll, I'll let you go first could, if you could want. could probably do like three webinars on this just uh, alone. But I think, so just to clarify the question, Brian, so you're asking, do we think that operators will do more just to mitigate the emissions from their current 
kind of hydrocarbon portfolios versus who is going to migrate more towards saying, okay, we're not going to do oil and gas and liquids anymore. We're going to try and do wind or solar yeah. or just renewable. Okay. Got it. Exactly. Okay. Or start integrating more of the renewables into there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, super tough question. Uh, so if you're asking for my, my personal view on, on how this is going to go, I think you could probably look at this from a couple different points of view. I mean, clearly uh, it's going to vary by geography because regulations are going to be different. And I think like Reed was saying, people's behaviors and kind of desires are going to be different. Uh, you can also certainly look at this as like uh, what's the capital structure internally. So, you know, what companies are taking heavy amounts of investment from, you know, investment firms that have said we will only invest in renewable energies or something like that. And I think also there's just size. I mean, you're more likely to see a super major commit to something like this than you are to see a a Permian player, for example, do that. So I think the answer is, I mean, I know it's kind of weak because you want to answer. It's going to be, it, it depends. But if you look at it along those kind of three dimensions, it'll probably give you a good idea of where. Uh, and So Reed is rolling his eyes. So he, he clearly has the, the answer. <laughs> I, I just think you're hedging for, for 12 months from now so that we don't get called out. <laughs> yeah, okay. I mean, yeah, I, I just, gosh, I, I think I'm just going to say, okay, I'll, I'll give what you. If, what the, if we the split it then? Definite answer I can give you. Can can is, we split it? Can you say? Can, do you have an idea of the difference between, let's say, like a major, how a major might do it, and then we'll ask you, how do you think, like a U.S. independent? That's that's fair. Okay, so I, I think if a, a major, especially one with an international footprint, will likely have, I say, no choice. I try to be careful with that, but we'll have little choice in the matter of moving towards more renewables. I think they view that as being more expected of them and they're kind of the standard bearer. I think the U.S. independent is more likely to shift to mitigation strategies dependent on what the local regulations kind of look like around them. Perfect. Couldn't have, couldn't have said yeah. it better myself, David. In fact, as, as we were thinking about this, I made a couple notes. I wrote U.S. operators reduction, majors renewables. Um, and definitely, I think the U.S., operators will be more driven by uh, regulation than philanthropy and goodwill and whatnot, I think, which isn't to say they won't. There's also a competitive aspect. We've heard op U.S. operators calling for, you know, uh, zero flaring, but those are also the operators that don't flare. And so it's a competitive advantage. It's, it's a competitive edge for them to, to get out there and point the finger and say, you guys are doing it wrong. I'm doing it right. Um, and so I think that we'll see a little bit maybe of the competitive side come out. But I think in the US, uh, you know, the US independence, it's going to be looking to reduce the impacts, uh, primarily driven by, you know, legislation. Uh, the majors and the NOCs will definitely have to focus on renewables. So that, do I hear correctly that we have consensus around independence? <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's pretty good consensus. All right. Yeah, our, our listeners are uh, probably you know frustrating. Uh, they're hitting <laughs> themselves in the head. Um, all right, well, the, the, here, here's another one that maybe gives us a, a, another chance for for, for it depends. Um, when we were talking, you know, some of the things we're looking at for for 2021, or of course, uh, or any year, is profitability. And, and each of you has you know historically, you know, we've been talking about North America. Oil field services. Uh, David has been more of your uh, focus, and, and Reed, the operators, more of your focus. When we look at the two sectors for 2021, um, in, in an aggregate basis, obviously there, there's going to be outliers at the one-off. Um, who has a better year in terms of 2021 profits? Operators. 
Yeah, I, I, have to, I think I have to agree with that. I mean, you know, at some at some level, you have to assume that in the service world, someone has to be profitable because if you stretch it out and no one's profitable, then no one exists, right? So someone has to be profitable. But if you ask me who has the better prospects for profit, increased profitability, I think I have to agree with Reed. Yeah, it's on the operator side. Well, David, as a follow-up to that, so how pinched are the services right now? Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting actually because you know it's hard to do some of these conversations because I'm sort of trained as everyone else on the call is right. Like if you say something, you have to have a fact base to support it. And I sort of asked myself at the end of last year, okay, so everyone assumes that service and pumping companies in particular is what I was thinking of are doing poorly. But well, what's my fact base for that? I can I test that? And long story short, I took a peer group of the largest horsepower providers, and it turned out actually that for the the peer group I selected, which was the top, I think, five or six horsepower providers, they were actually making money and they were in a good spot. So that definitely challenged me to rethink like, okay, maybe this is just a story that gets perpetuated because everyone says that's what it is. And it it works for the service companies because then they can say, hey, you know, don't squeeze us anymore. Uh So look, they, they can, they have been profitable, they can be profitable, but if you just look at the data that we provide, there's just so much excess capacity in the market and the perception is so strong that if you don't accept this price, like if I'm the operator and, I, and the service company does not accept this price, the perception is so strong that that operator can just go down the street and ask for another 10%. It's it's just hard to see anyone at the moment making a case. I think right now it's just hunker down and, and hope that your cash reserves will outrun this kind of first half of 2021 instability we talked about before. And so you don't think that anybody who did receive the pressure in 2020, they're waiting on the sidelines, ready to re-engage, that it didn't knock anybody completely out? Uh, no, so I mean, there were, it hasn't. It hasn't decreased the size of the pool of the service. I mean, the, no. So there, there were announced. Uh, I mean, so so you have the the announcement. Uh, I don't want to say anything too wrong here, but I think it was early 2020, end of 2019. Like Halliburton and Schlumberger announced very large cuts. But I think that's where this caught everyone by surprise was these cuts, which were dramatic. Uh, any other time, people would have said, wow, like what is going on here? But then the pandemic hit and they just could not outrun the the demand bottoming out at that time, right? And then Schlumberger A pretty much said with the Liberty deal, like, hey, you know, we don't want part of North America. Uh, then there was another company, FTSI, announced they were filing for a Chapter 11. So the capacity is coming out. Whenever you talk about supply or demand, you always have to keep in mind the other side of the coin. And so supply is coming out of the market. The question is, is it coming out of the market faster than demand is dropping and has dropped? And then on top of that, do people understand that picture or is their perception such that, again, like, well, there's 50 others of you I can call on. So either you give me my 30% discount or I'm, I'm walking. So I think there's the data piece, which is important, but perception is reality. And I think that's going to be really key uh, going into the next year as well. And Reed, I'm gonna I'm gonna give some well, it's not really pushback, but kind of add a question around your answer of operators. Though, is it just because 2020 was so bad that relatively it looks better, or do we think that something's happening within these operators that, like structurally, they look just in better Oops. position in 2021? Structurally, they look a lot better. Um, I mean, we've we've cut a lot of the a lot of the wheat from the chaff this year. Um, and so that's good. I mean, bankruptcies. Uh, we've seen some really big mergers or acquisitions, however you want to term it, uh, in the industry. But really, what we're looking at is um, investors. I mean, this is 2021 is going to be the realization of a three to four year shift in the business model uh, towards profitability. Um, 
and and it's you know they were on that path this has only accelerated it um now it's not i always liken it to a guy that goes to college and borrows a lot of money and then goes to grad school and borrows money at some point they got to pay it back well all they're all we're looking at now is this year we're expecting them to live within cash flow they're not borrowing but they're not paying down debt and next year we we expect them to actually make money like uh underspend capital or underspend you know revenues and so that, but we need to do that we need to do that for a couple reasons one there's a ton of debt that's got to be paid back but even without that look the energy industry particularly upstream us is so out of favor with investors because of the way they were pushed to grow and outspend and then the investor the investor uh philosophy changed and said now i want you to you know be value companies um, and it's taken a while to do that. So I think we're finally at a point where they have a production base. They've got the balance sheet strength, even at sort of a $47 price that I'm looking at on my screen, you know, that they can pull that off. So I think next year is going to be good for them. But to David's point, look, what drives business in the service sector is operators spending money. And they're spending a lot less money next year than they did, you know, what was it in 2020 and 2021 capex won't will barely equal what they spent in 2019 something like that i mean the capital has just has just dried up and so it's i mean you can't be profitable in a shrinking shrinking industry i mean you can but but business would say it's it's very difficult so um you know the shift in the way operators are managing their business is pushing down on that profitability of the service sector we just don't need it. We don't need the activity levels we did in the past because they're not being incentivized to grow production like they were in the past. I guess or not, I, sorry, 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 just or horse, oh, I apologize. So, or, or horsepower for that matter. I mean, if you look at, you know, Reed was saying years earlier, it was we will incentivize we will incentivize you to bring on more barrels. Well, I think you know, in the service company case for years, it was well, we just bring on capacity, you know. But clearly, you know, if there's no buyer for it, that's a problem. And then on top of that. I think this is, you know, to kind of weave into the story of everyone's behaviors changing. You realize that there's a cost to having stuff as well. So bringing something on is one thing, but then when you have to retire it, back to the service company side now, retiring it costs money, storing it costs money. So you've kind of brought these things on and you've got no place for it. And then you're trying to save cash, but just to do something with it on the end, that hurts you as well. So I think you can make the barrels to horsepower analogy for the for the mm -hmm. two service sector and operator uh, companies there. All right. We're it's it's always it's not necessarily always thrilling when there's consensus, but I'll give you guys consensus on that one because you gave some really good and interesting little tidbits as to why it's going to be that way. So it's it, you know it's a little bit more exciting than just both agreeing on something. On the next one, this one I'm actually interested to hear because it's possible because uh, I don't think Hill knew about it before I mentioned it. No. Talking mirror. Would you rather the <laughs> new fitness talking mirror, or which one? Or sorry, which one do you think is better? The new fitness talking mirror or Snow White's talking mirror? Do you guys even know what the fitness mirror I'm talking about is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Reed, Reed, do you mind if I take this? Uh, if I take this? Go one? for it. Go for yeah, it. Yeah, so the, the, the talking mirror, I guess, uh, yeah, for everyone on the call, it's it's literally uh, a workout mirror, basically. So the, the mirror has got a screen in it and it's got some elastic bands and it kind of leads you through uh, workouts. Uh, and then obviously, I think we all, well, I say obviously, I'm, I'm assuming we all know what Snow White's uh, talking <laughs> is. And I guess it comes to, you know, it goes back to the sleeping and, and exercising kind of things we said earlier because, uh, so I, I do work out. 
uh, and my wife is like a fanatic, so I'm kind of aware of all the trends. I will say that I have my own workout routine, uh, and I also say that when Snow White or the I guess it's the Evil Queen asks, you know, who's the fairest of them all? Uh, I think that'd be a pretty nice way to start your day by having someone say, <laughs> like, "Yes, David, you are the most handsome, and you are ready." to go out there and, and crush your, your work from home day. So I'm going to give my vote for the, uh, the snow white mirror. You know, you could just write those affirmations in, in pen <laughs> on your mirror, right? Yeah. But it's just, it's just different <laughs> when someone's actually saying that to you. Right. Or pretty much for anything you ask them, you know, uh, should I do this? Yes. Go ahead. It'll work out for you. Right. So I think that the positivity, the after a while would just, that's absolutely right. That's correct. Yeah. So I, I vote for the, uh, the snow white mirror. All right. Reed, how about yourself? Um, I'm going to have to go with the, the fitness mirror only because I need another $1,500 piece of workout equipment that doesn't get used. <laughs> but you can't hang your clothes on this one, right? So unfortunately, no. at the fun. But you can, someone... you can look at your reflection and admire your beard. <laughs> I, can add it to my, I can add it to my weight bench, a Peloton, um, a Wahoo kicker. I, I had an elliptical. Yeah, it's great. Let's just let's just bring it in. Uh, and fortunately, this one doesn't take up much space. So uh, yeah, we'll go with that. This and well, on the plus side, it sounds as though you could you could open up a little small gym franchise at your well home. socially distanced, perhaps. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we have talked. Fitness Reno, Oreo in my mouth. <laughs> uh, I'll confess that one of the ideas that we've talked about for this podcast to better appeal to those at home worker outers, if that's the right word, at home uh, fitness enthusiasts. Um, is, is to talk to people as if they're working out while listening to our podcast, you know, so, so give the occasional keep going sexy in San Diego <laughs> uh, or, or some sort of motivation as they're halfway through the podcast. So, so I guess to, to be determined when we do that, but, but for, for all of you who are sitting on your uh, treadmill right now, looking for motivation, you know, keep going. You, you're doing great. We're proud of you. <laughs> We're proud of you. 10 more miles. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. So, so lo looking back at, at 2021 and, and again within the uh, energy industry, and this is somewhat of a segue from uh, from the <coughs> consensus that we had just a little while ago on operators. Um, where are the, the higher levels of spend? Uh, Ex-U.S. Uh, or, or U.S.? Um, and obviously the U.S. has been, you know, the, 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 the sponge for capital for, you know, seemingly forever um, with the focus on onshore U.S., um, is it going to be as things kind of get into into a new gear in 2021? Uh, where's capital going? Upstream capital. Read all, all, all year. Yeah. So I don't know what our numbers for you know total spend in uh, globally for upstream next year are, um, but I will say we are looking at a you know a, a still very much in the trough of U.S. spending. So. Look, the world is oversupplied, um, both with oil and gas. Uh, and, and so um, I, I think this goes back to, the, to one of the first questions. You're really talking about who is the who loses less. Um, you know, we're going to see spending down globally. It's just is it down more ex-U.S. versus in U.S.? I don't know. Um, I think Saudi's perspective or OPEC's perspective on managing markets is changing. Uh, they're, they've got a, a philosophy that's really starting to come into fruition that they've been pivoting towards in the last uh, five years, probably. But but the world still needs oil and gas, something like 95 million barrels a day or something like that. So we're still going to need it. I think that probably the U.S. will see 
I'm just speculating here. The U.S. is going to see less capital spent relative to ex-U.S. next year, only because of that business shift I mentioned earlier. So it's not that the capital isn't there. It's not that capital isn't available. It's that operators are going to choose not to spend it um, because they've got this mandate from their equity holders. Whereas when you look at companies internationally, NOCs, they aren't necessarily driven by profits. Uh, there are some companies, some NOCs that are essentially employment organizations. Uh, they have government mandates and strategic imperatives they've got to maintain independent of does this business independently make money. So I think that we'll probably see the U.S. grow capital spend less next year than the, than the rest of the world. Yeah, and I, I think that uh, the only thing, so the only thing I'll add to that, and this is going to be, not, that's not it's not boring, but I think this is just company line is that uh, our team actually puts out a global upstream spend report. So if anyone out there is interested, I'm going to ask my manager for forgiveness, not permission. But if you get in touch with me, <laughs> I, I'll send you an extract of our of our data so you can actually see what the fact base is and it'll give you the, the full breakdown. So and then we don't have to wait till next year for me to be wrong. Yeah, I never. Well, to, to be fair, I never said Reed was wrong. I just said, uh, you know, for the current kind of IHS market view, because we got to make sure we're, you know, satisfying all the stakeholders here. Uh, just get in touch with me, and I'll send you that. Oh, the one thing I did want to add, actually, sorry. Uh, so, Reed, you had mentioned oil's not going anywhere. Uh, so, in Jim Burkhart's paper, uh, you know, believe it or not, because I was even shocked by this, but, uh, and I hope I'm not wrong quoting this, but 80% of the share from 1990 to 2020, 80% of share of energy share, I think, was oil. And I say oil, it's either oil or hydrocarbons, but I believe it was oil. So 80%. And what uh, Jim also said was, you know, even if you talk like a move from 80 to 75, that's actually gigantic in in terms of the whole system. And that takes years, if not decades, to to get done. So I think that really kind of points to the two parts of that story, which is that oil is hugely important and oil is not going anywhere anytime soon. Just that the system is, and the quantities are just too large for, for that to happen. Regardless of how much money you've, you move into the other sectors. Yeah, I, I mean, I, so that's it, it what's goes, so important. No, I, th- I think it's it's a good kind of flip side to the, the, the question earlier about, uh, you know, bringing on capacity or bringing on barrels. I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's I'm very strongly personally, like I, I'm very much kind of a demand side uh, person and so if you if there's no demand for your oil then that's going to do something to the price but at the same time if companies go bankrupt and the demand is still there that has the dynamic in the opposite side as well so I think that the, the demand really is is the the driver here uh, switching off of oil for a second we're we're gonna ask you a gas a, a US gas specific question actually on the next one so would you rather knowing that natural gas is sort of in it has had some structural changes on the back of the soil shift. Would you rather have exposure to Haynesville or Eagleford? Mm, wow. The stumper. You're, you're really going after it. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm trying to think. We're pretty bullish on Haynesville. You're talking on the gas side. like On the Eagleford gas side, gas yes. Haynesville gas? Yeah, because uh, that's, that's the thing. We, we have become quite on the strategic advantages of Haynesville. You know, there's some interesting yeah. dynamics there. So... I'm going to put um, a question to you. Where would you yeah. like to be exposed? Um, interesting question in the world of coronavirus. Where do you want to be exposed? Um, <laughs> I would take I would take Haynesville, and I would take it because. So this is a this is going to be a peculiar answer, I'm sure. But look, everybody there is private, 
so there's a good chance of getting bought out. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I would take I would take some East Texas Haynesville, you know, get some of that liquid rich stuff, and uh, and just hang out the for sale sign and hope I got bought. I think that there's a lot of opportunity there, much more so than in the in the Eagle Bird. I think the economics are better, but just from a just from a longevity sense, man, I think that there's a there's a good chance of getting picked up uh, for the consolidation aspect of that. That's right. a good angle. So I'm going to make Brandon Hill happy here. And just for the sake of it, I'm going to take the other side and right. make the case, make the case for the Eagle for it. So, uh, you know, I think, uh, look, lower, lower cost wells, uh, you know, just less and lower cost because it's less technically challenging. Right. So, I mean, I think the Haynesville, I'm sure everyone's probably got a beat on it more or less, but still, like if you're looking at both, I think you could make the case that lower cost because it's less technically challenging. Um, also, I mean, I don't want to offend anyone by saying like more production, history or experience, but I think, you know, like that area is pretty concentrated in terms of best practices and expertise and things like that. Uh, and also, you know, it's clearly not like right next to Midland, but if you wanted to sop up some of that excess capacity, I think you'd be in a good position to, to do that as well. So I guess, you know, Reed's taking kind of the exit side to make his case. I'll take more of the operational side if someone were to stick, stick with gas. But I think for those three reasons, I'd, I'll, I'll take the, uh, take the Eagle for side. I like it. I like this. This gives us something to uh, check back on next year. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, so again, looking at 2020. Uh, so t tonight uh, it, it is December to 10th for, for those of you listening on your Peloton uh, next week uh, in, in the future. But, but tonight at midnight, Taylor Swift is dropping her second pandemic release. The first one being, I think, Folklore back in June or July, which was the first and maybe only album to hit a million sales this year. Uh, the, the other big album to drop this year, I say other as if there are only two, but Megan Thee Stallion, Houston native, uh, on, on Thanksgiving uh, released Good News. Which album is the, the better release of 2020 and why? You know, uh, I, I will. here's what I'll say is I think you know that you're getting old when you turn on the radio and you're like, I can't listen to this. Like, what are the kids? <laughs> and that's just a general comment because you're asking me a question. Like uh, I'll remind everyone of last year's podcast. Like I'm John Mayer pretty much all the way. I think that's kind of my, and he hasn't been on the radio in who knows how long. But I <laughs> he did not release an album in 2020 you know, as far as I know. And again, I don't want to offend anyone because I know we have outside interests. I, I believe, and I'm, I'm not a, like a rap connoisseur, but I've listened to a, a certain amount of it. And I think like, rap prior to 2000 is way better than what's coming out now. So read, uh, or I'm sorry, Hill, you mentioned Beastie Boys, like I'll listen to that over anyone today. So I think just from that, I'll kind of disqualify uh, Megan Thee Stallion. And I think Taylor Swift, you know, like uh, people have their opinions about her, but I think her music is like fun. It's easy to listen to. And she made a good song with uh, John Mayer, Half My Heart on uh, Battlefield. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I'll bring it back to John Mayer and, uh, and I'll go with Taylor Swift to answer your question. All right. Read. Uh, so as an aside, I, I got a new radio in my truck and apparently I can listen to HD stations now, which is like opening <laughs> up the whole world. Yeah. Because uh, normally I listen to podcasts, but um, I found one that plays like 90s country. So uh, so I'm outside my world here. Um, my 10 year old daughter has made multiple <laughs> unending references to Taylor Swift and uh, I'd never heard of Megan. So uh oh, so uh, I'm going to have to go with Taylor Swift, but I'm really going to go with Robert Rokin and Corey Morrow. 
Did they read uh, themselves this year? They don't have to, man. Their stuff is gold. He's, he's stuck in the 90s. He's listened to his 90s country. He's, he's good to go. Who else? 90s country. What else do we have? What, what? I feel like... Uh, you could do some cross-Canadian ragweed. You could do some uh, Charlie Robinson. You could do... I mean, everybody's favorite is uh, Pat Green. You could do... Uh, I mean, Willie came out with quality stuff for his entire... <laughs> his, his entire career. Um, you, you can't love country... Like I'm talking good old boy country without having some, some uh, David Allen Co. Um, but you know Zach Brown's come out with some good stuff too lately. Uh, some you know I like his older stuff better. Um, but you know you got Zach Brown, you got Kip Moore, so you know there's a variety there. I don't know if any of them, as you term it, he'll dropped albums um, <laughs> this year, but they are still producing and recording. Yes. Well, I'm gonna go on limb and guess that. Um it might be a good thing that you don't know Megan Thee Stallion's name because I'm going to guess you wouldn't want your 10-year-old daughter listening to the album. Hill, I, have, have a- I have heard of Cardi B. <laughs> Not at age 10. So I think Megan Thee Stallion's new album is fantastic. Uh, and uh, David, I think it is better hip-hop than it's coming from you know just about anybody from Kendrick Lamar. Uh, and, and if you like 90s hip-hop, I would recommend Megan Thee Stallion that, that she is... I think worth the, the listen, but I and I think it is really interesting for, from a dad of a daughter perspective. I'm not going to rush out and let my ten year old listen to it. I did let her listen to one of the songs. I think it's like the tenth song on the album or something. But it's uh, at some point she should listen to it. My daughter, I would think. So I, w- I will say to you know, like uh, I, I think these are fun questions to bring it back to kind of a, a work process because I mean, it's, it's going to be weak, but. It, it's there. You know, I think that what we're all kind of saying is like the the songwriting is a, is a, clearly a, a big deal, right? And I think that when I was thinking kind of on the, the rap question, like, you know, Beastie Boys or any one of these other uh, rappers, in John Mayer, honestly, like the songwriting is key. And I think when I'm writing my papers, some of the things that they have talked about in interviews about how they write songs and how they look at things and just being exposed to that. Like, I think if you like rap and you like the stuff that we're talking about, it's because you like like the wordplay and the fun with words. And I think when you're looking at developing a style to write with, that's kind of what I think about. I'm like, oh, like they're having fun with words. And I'm writing about oil and gas, which to some people might be really, really dry, but like you can still have fun with it and put your own turns of phrase. And I think that is what attracts me to those particular artists is the ones that clearly are good. It's because they love the words. And I think that, you know, that's something that I try and work into to my process when I'm at my desk or, you know, putting one of these papers together. So to everybody listening, Press pause on the podcast and Google Cool Mode D Busy B Rap Battle and listen to in terms of root uh, wordplay. And this was a pickup from that Beastie Boys book. And I think it was either Adam or Mike that recommends it. And it was an audio book, right? It said, stop listening to this audio book. Listen to this YouTube video. So, so the wordplay, Dave, that you described, check out Cool Mode D Busy B Rap Battle. Uh, You're going to link that in the in the description? <laughs> Maybe maybe somehow we'll work it into the title. There you go. So you get a free upstream spend report and a rap battle, uh, <laughs> all of this podcast. As your reward for listening through to the you know to the through the entire podcast, I guess is you're getting all these little added perks, these these holiday givings. Yes, and so and so with that, I think we are at our last question, aren't we, Brian? So, so I think so. Yeah. The, uh, the, the last question, hopefully, uh, well, I imagine we'll get consensus on this. Better year, 2020 or 2021? 
Okay. Um, so I'm gonna. Yeah, I was thinking about this because I thought you might ask this question, and I'm gonna say something that's that's grim, and it's not meant to be grim. I think it's just to put things in perspective. You know, I I follow a lot of uh, Reddit, and I think you know the internet can be a bit of a cesspool, but if you kind of choose your kind of sources, it can also be super insightful. And Reddit's fun because if you pick the communities and you read, you get a lot of these different insights. And one person said, you know, like given how things are going, right? Like the the need to address the energy mix, the need to consume less, like what if 2020 is actually the best year of the decade, right? And that made me think, I mean, what would what would that mean? What would that mean for everyone? Uh, but at the same time, you know, you can take the flip side and say that, well, hopefully we've learned from this and, and think that 2021 is going to be the better year. And I would hope, again, going back to my kind of thoughts on like being part of a collective, uh, that people would kind of look at this and say, yeah, I definitely need to change how I behave, how I treat others, you know, and hopefully everyone else is thinking the same thing. And so it reflects back on us. I think 2021, to be honest with you, is still going to be rough. Like we're not going to get out of this. That's my personal view. We are not out of the woods in 2021, uh, but relatively speaking, is it going to be better? Yeah, I hope so. Because if you think about what worse means, that's a really bad place to be in. So I'll go with 2021 being better and I uh, hope I'm not wrong for next year's iteration. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, for me, 2020 was supposed to be sort of the the summer of George, but the summer of Reed, right? Um, for the old Seinfeld reference, you know, it was supposed to be great. I was supposed to have a lot of fun, and I actually did. You know, I think it's all in your perspective. I got to spend seven weeks in Colorado this year. I got to um, spend more time with my family. So I think that from a from a, an external perspective, yeah, it's been horrible. But from my personal life. I really enjoyed the shift. So I think 2021 will be better, but that's because it's going to be better for people in getting down to what they really think is important. I spent more time throwing a baseball with my kids, teaching my daughter multiplication tables, helping my youngest son learn to study. I taught kids how to ride bikes. I got to, you know, climb mountains. I never thought I would. Um, and so I think it's all in, you know, what you go out and grab. And so I, I think 2021 will be better because um, people, I, I don't know that it's going to be better in oil and gas markets. I don't know if the quarantine is going to be better, but I think that as we learn how to make the most of what we what what's in front of us, uh, it's it can only be better. You know, even if oil does collapse again or whatever happens in the markets and and with you know with with all these all the uncertainty, all the waves in the ocean right now, um, we're learning how to deal with it. And so I don't think that there's a way it couldn't be better. I think that's interesting, though. I think it's nice to look at 2020 as a as a important formative year. I, you know, I think of what you're describing it there, and, and the importance that that 2020 played and will forever play um, yeah. because of that. But uh, yeah, I mean, let's hope. You know, it's one thing to talk, and and again, I think David mentioned at the start that, you know, we're we're privileged. You know, being able to work from home, and and you know, there's a lot of different people in different circumstances. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go out and say I, I hope for 2021 to be better, but I think. You both raise a really valid point that I think as we look back in 2020, at 2020, there are some important things about 2020 that should stick with us forever. So, yeah, I, I think that's I think I kind of stand on the same on the same side as both of you. Hill, I, I hope I hope you're not. Gonna, <laughs> I'm just going to say I, I hope you also agree, because I, I hope it's not that you think that 2021 is going to be the worst is yet to come right Hill? <laughs> yeah. no yeah it's got to be 2021 right that's we, we we always have to believe that the next year is better than this year that, that uh, otherwise that there's no point uh kind of going ahead 
I suppose that that's a horribly fatalistic way to yeah, look at things. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> yes, 2021 will be better. And yes, there were some bright spots in 2020 that we will all learn from. <clears throat> I think, and the other um, important thing is, is as always having people such as Reed and David join us on this podcast, we're just getting better and better as well. So it means yeah. that 2021 is also just going to continue to deliver to to deliver to you listeners better and better energy sense podcasts so you know you can always eagerly anticipate the next one well we will be back uh if you guys want us so definitely <laughs> hopefully this goes over well and uh happy to join uh for the next iteration in uh, 12 months time and we'll be back to see whether or not reed has upped it from 50 to maybe 75 or 100 push-ups a day don't yeah i'm getting ambitious there <laughs> All right. Well, David, so I guess you, you got to get to sleep and Reed's got some push-ups to do. So, so this is probably uh, a good place to wrap up. So, so thank you all. And we look forward to uh, recounting uh, the, the tally next year that there was remarkable consensus. So it might be a tie uh, when we come back next year. Thank you all for having us. Thank you. Right. And we wish Thanks, you guys. both a happy holiday season. Yeah. Same to you. Thanks. You too. To read additional insights from our team of experts, visit our blog at www.ihsmarket.com slash energy blog. You can also find our experts on social media by searching for IHS Market Energy on either Twitter or LinkedIn. Have a topic idea or want to send us feedback? Email our podcast team at energysense at ihsmarket.com. This podcast contains information and insights copyrighted by IHS Market. To learn more about IHS Market Energy Solutions, visit ihsmarket.com slash energy. That's ihsmarkit.com forward slash energy.